Hi, how are you? How are you keeping? It's Owen from the Hiker Podcast, and this is the Hiker Podcast. How have you been? Have you been outside? Have you been hiking? Have you been backpacking? Have you been packing your bag as if you're going on a long distance hiking adventure, but you have to unpack it because you're not actually going on a long distance hiking adventure because of COVID? I haven't, I swear. Um, but look, it looks like there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel for us in Ireland. Um, it looks like we might be opening up our restrictions so we can travel a little bit further. Not far enough to go hiking, but it, you know, just take what I can get, I suppose. So I'm absolutely delighted to share with you an interview I did with somebody. Um, that I've wanted to get onto the show for quite a while now. Um, a good friend, well, I would consider a good friend. We've never actually met in person. Um, we've spoken on the phone, we've spoken on Zoom, we've spoken over social media and, and Instagram. Um, she was supposed to come over here to Ireland to do a course and we were going to hang out, we are going to go hiking and, and, and all that, but, you know, something happened around the world that caused everyone to have to stay at home so that didn't happen um but we've kept in touch and she has done some fantastic things all around the world and she's got some amazing plans coming up gail muller um an adventurer an educator and just an all-round amazing human being uh, she has a fantastic story and she's a fantastic storyteller so I can't wait for you guys to, to, to listen to this. Gail is such a good storyteller. She's actually released a book. Well, she's written a book and it's coming out later this year. It's coming out on the 7th of September and it's called Unlost. Uh, so if you search Gail Mother Unlost, you'll be able to find that. Or if you search Gail Mother on Instagram, you'll find her there. Um, yeah, Gail's just one of these people that you click with. Um, she's just a very uh, personable person approachable talkative you know conversation with her flows really easily so this is one of the shorter interviews i've done but i really enjoyed it um and yeah she has a fantastic story and she's so good at telling it so in that short space of time she's still able to convey such a compelling story and uh, i really hope you enjoy it but before we get into that a word from our sponsors Hey, it's me, the sponsor. This podcast is powered by Hiker Long Distance Hiking Trails. Currently, we have mapped nearly 1,700 long distance trails from around the world. I'm actually going to go double check that one second. I was actually wrong there. We have mapped over 1,700 long distance trails from around the world. 1,701 to be exact. From walks in the woods to mountain traverses, to nations spanning through hikes. Hiker has a trail for everyone who wants to truly explore the great outdoors. Download the Hiker app for free in your app store now or head over to hiker.app, that's H-I-I-K-E-R dot A-P-P to discover your next great adventure. And of course, please like, 
share comments on the podcast and really want to hear your feedback hope you're enjoying this hope you're taking something out of it um so yeah let me know what you think you can also email the podcast at podcast at hiker.co that's podcast at h-i-i-k-e-r dot c-o let me know what you think is there anything you want to us to talk about is there any people you'd like us to interview um yeah i'd like to hear from you but for now i hope you enjoy my interview with gail Muller, hiker author hi <laughs> all round good person how are you doing <laughs> so kind of you thanks so much i'm really well thanks despite lockdown despite everything i'm rallying <laughs> yeah uh, just been talking i suppose this podcast has basically been born out of me sitting at home having nothing else to do so i just started calling up friends and hikers and chatting to them about you know them being stuck in their house and not being able to do anything uh how has lockdown been for you for the, for the past uh what feels like 20 years i suppose yeah so initially it was pretty tricky wasn't it for all of us i had a whole year of really wonderful things lined up i was going to do my wemc mountain medicine training in Ireland where you are uh, just out of Dublin and then I was going to head off to do the TMB I was do on the trail volunteer crew in Maine uh, for the Appalachian Trail crew to pay back to say thanks for them looking after the trail so beautifully in my favorite state really that I hiked through on the AT then I was heading um, to the Smokies to finish off a few miles I got snowed out of the AT the year before and then I was supposed to go and do the PCT which I had a permit for southbound and then the Teoroa so all of that was in the bin but what I did do instead was um, pitched, was signed to an agent for my pitch of a book and then was snapped up by a publisher for my story, um, which is, a, so, you know, the, the backbone of which is the Appalachian Trail, but it's more multi-layered than just that, really. And then I wrote the book. So um, now I've got hopefully some big hikes coming up when we're allowed to move again. But I used the time well and I was able to still focus on my great loves of the outdoors, education, uh, adversity overcoming, and all the good stuff in a different way. Amazing. Like, I, I have been just overwhelmed with all the, the lists of uh, hikes that people have just had to throw in the bin, my own list, and all the guests that I've had on the podcast and friends. It, it, it is a bit sad, but I, I, I remember following you on your trip around the Southwest Coast Path. Uh, oh yes, just, I did that. I forgot to say that. Yeah, yeah, you forgot. Just that little walk around the coast of the the UK, <laughs> and that took you several weeks. <laughs> yeah, just six hundred and thirty miles. Yeah, just you know, just a flash in the pan, uh, but it did yeah. kind of uh, inspire myself, and I, mean, I know other people. It did inspire us and just give us that kind of like, uh, there's still outdoors out there. There's still hiking to be done, and. You know, even though we might only be able to go down 20 minutes down the road, there's still there's still some stuff to be done. Um, so I'll get, to, I'll get to your book in a moment, but I suppose it'll all kind of naturally lead on to that. Um, but you did the the Appalachian Trail in 20, I want to get this right, 19. 2019. Yeah. Got, got, it, got it straight away. Um, Boom. Tell me, how did that come about? How did you decide to go and do the Appalachian Trail? Were you doing other hiking first and 
got onto that or uh, did something happen? Was there an aha moment of I need to go and hike from one end of America to the other? Well, um, truly, the first time I ever read about the Appalachian Trail was Bill Bryson's book. Now, Bill Bryson gets a lot of shit for his <laughs> book, uh, especially from purists who are like, oh, he didn't even finish the trail. And oh, he just blathered on about a load of old shit. But actually, to be honest, I found that to be the very first time I had read or been aware that you could travel by foot such a long distance and there was some way to live freely and in the outdoors and move great distances without having to be in buildings or to have you know the usual human systems around you uh, and I was maybe 20 reading it on a train on some big journey somewhere and being from the UK although we love the outdoors and we have a big outdoors culture it's a different culture than the American culture um, and here you really maybe go for you go to a campsite in a lovely place like the lakes or you stay in a youth hostel in the lakes and you will go for day hikes and traverses and you might do you know the west highland way or something short but in england you don't have huts you don't have wild camping supported and known about as you do in the states so i hadn't been aware of it that that um americans support that so much and that you could walk so far so that was great thought oh i'll do that that's brilliant i was very fit really sporty athletic was Stroke rower and a gig rowing team down here, did a lot of running, a lot of water sports because I live by the sea in Cornwall. Um, and then I got quite poorly. I had some pain in my back and my hips and it got worse and worse and worse. And it's a long story, uh, but I won't go into all the details, but it was pretty soul destroying in that I ran through the fingers of many, many doctors when I finally went to the doctors because nobody wants to bother a doctor with a bad back. Every bastard's got a bad back, so you just get on with it. But when I finally went to the doctors, it was becoming, you know, fist gnawingly, vomitingly painful. And I couldn't seem to get through. And they thought it was a disc bulge and this and that and the other. And in the end, they kind of over a period of four or five years kind of said, we don't know what's wrong with you. So here's the pain clinic and they will guide you into your future. So I was in my you know, early 30s. They will guide you into your future of disability badges, having to give up work probably being in a, you know, really disabled. And we don't know how to stop it because we don't know what's wrong. So you're just gonna have to accept it. And I also had in my teens a diagnosis because my feet turned in a little bit by a doctor who said, oh, if you don't get your, I think probably you're gonna be in a wheelchair by the time you're 40, unless we, unless we smash your feet and reset them and realign your pelvis. And, um, and I said, no, <laughs> I'm fine, thanks. Uh, Cause I was like 14 or 13. And so, that knowledge in the back of my head combined with my increasing pain in my 30s was like oh yeah I am doomed but I, I kind of changed my mindset and decided eventually when they were giving me more and more painkillers at the pain clinic and things were just looking so bleak my personality is not to give in or give up I'm so tenacious and I will always find a way through which is bad sometimes sometimes I just need to sit down and shut up and accept <laughs> something but I thought <laughs> okay you can have acceptance. I can accept that I'm in chronic, chronic pain and that I have to take painkillers and, you know, it took me to very dark places. But I can also hope that things are going to be better. So I went around the world seeking different types of cures, remedies in this country, you know, spiritual, emotional, physical, all kinds of therapies. And in the end, I found a therapist and some practitioners in northern Italy where I was living to work 
um, near Lake Maggiore and uh, Como, they were on Lake Como. And they told me it was the alignment of my jaw and how my teeth met and it was causing torsion through my entire body. So I spent, it was a chiropractor and a dentist. I didn't know at the time, but very well to do. Like they treat Donatella Versace and Silvio Berlusconi and the, and the AC Milan football team and Beckham and all those people. But I was just some Cornish bumpkin who was struggling and turned up at their office crying because some chiropractor had given me their number. Yeah, so over three years, I made great friends with them all and they realigned my jaw and they, they gave me braces and changed how my mouth was. And it's allowed me to rehabilitate myself and the pain lesson. So when I was, I, I hesitate to say cured because once you've had chronic pain for a long time, your pain pathways in your brain still exist. So even like when someone loses their uh, arm in an accident, let's say they have that phantom pain in their hand and the hand's not there. Yeah. Neuropathic pain is like that. So when my physical pain may be eased, I still my brain still sends messages of pain. But that aside, got myself together, was trail running, weightlifting, feeling great. And then thought, what do I do with this body now that I nearly threw away? You know, suicide had become an option, asking my parents to help me die had become an option. And when I recovered from all of that, I thought I'm going to take this body and I'm going to see what I can do with it because it's mine again now. I'm friends with my pain, friends with the condition. So off I went, thought, what's the hardest thing I can think of? Okay, the Appalachian Trail. What's even harder? Southbound. Yeah. <laughs> Have I done anything like that before? No. Had I ever camped for more than a few nights that wasn't a festival and getting drunk? No. Okay, let's see what it's all about. So I went and did it. So you had no long distance hiking before uh, experience of uh, before that not a single bit none no. whatsoever day hikes around the cornish coast let's say um you know i was i was outdoorsy and athletic because i'd been doing all the things i had done but with all those years of chronic pain i was just living my outdoors life from behind the wheel of a car looking out to sea or gentle day hikes or through books but i think from a a mental perspective you had you'd been preparing for this for years you just oh. ha haven't been able to actually do the thing but you've been you know you've probably mapped it out in your head it's like yep yeah, okay i know what i need to carry i know what what that's going to be like but you know the pain of walking 2000 plus miles is never going to be what uh, uh, what you went through no, no. Yeah, you're right. Like, it's amazing that I did that when there were long periods of time when I couldn't get myself into the bathroom without using my arms and dragging myself across the floor, but not telling anyone that my pain was so much that I couldn't stand. Um, but I take myself to work every day, loaded on painkillers, teaching, and then I come back and just sob on the stairwell of my apartment building, not being able to drag myself up into my flat at the end of the day, but didn't tell anybody because I was not going to give in. I was going to find a way. And that tenacity, I think, is what got me through the Appalachian Trail, especially the last 800 miles with two broken bones in my foot, one of them a displaced fracture. Yeah, so I did the last 800 miles with a broken foot and I just thought, it's probably just a sprain. <laughs> the hospital said it's a sprain and I'm not going to give in. <laughs> oh, wow. That's that's a true story of, of overcoming adversity. Um, and that's likely what your book is about. I assume that's what your book is about, unless you're writing about some other like life-changing yeah. moment. <laughs> no, I'm writing about horses. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, about, it's about the trail. It's basically about how you can go. It's 
it's a story of acceptance, really. Uh, acceptance plus hope that to accept where you are does not mean that you cannot want to also be better. People issue acceptance and think it means like giving up and sitting down and it really doesn't. And it's all about making friends with things, your fear, your pain, whatever blockages, whatever issues that face you if you fight them this is my experience really if you fight 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 that i did for so long i won't be in pain i'm not gonna let it get me down actually all you're doing is creating more negative energy in yourself your body the whole idea the language you use about whatever you're going through even if it's an emotional thing you know if it's a breakup if it's the loss of a parent or the loss of a job or a business plan that you've plowed everything into people tend to fight against accepting their feelings but if you just feel and if you just accept and if you make friends with whatever situation that you're in you can move through it more easily and work with it so in the end I was saying to myself instead of I'm going out even if I'm in agony and I'm going to walk around the park it's how are you doing today body what do you feel like doing what can we do together pain what are you going to let me do okay we can do that let's go and do that today and when you think about adversity in that way and you try and get along with it like a tricky colleague then you can get somewhere with it really. And that's, it got me all the way and it will take me even further. So the book is about the trail itself being the backbone, the beautiful, undulating, challenging, stunning Appalachian Trail and overlaid across that are the themes of loss, adversity, fear, uh, pain and, and how those things can be coped with to live a full, wonderful outdoors life. Amazing. So had you any kind of writing experience before that? Had you, were you, you know, did you, do you have a formal background in that kind of thing or is it? My master's in broadcast journalism, uh, my degree is in archaeology and ancient classical history and like some Egyptology stuff. So they go, they go hand in hand. <laughs> Yeah, not really related. I just wanted to be Indiana Jones. You know, that was my big goal at university. So since I was like nine, um, didn't work out. So did postgrad. And then uh, I guess I'd, I've always written a bit. I've always loved to write. I've always wanted to write a book. There's always there's books in all of us. And I'm a voracious But I didn't think that I'd actually really ever do it. And then this happened. My this This thing happened to me. I did the trail. And I just thought, okay, and because I'm a teacher and I love my, I love my teaching, um, an educator in all different respects, private tutoring, uh, teaching teachers, uh, as well as teaching students. Uh, I think I thought, okay, there are lessons that I've learned in this that other people could benefit from. So let's just put it down in a way that's engaging and entertaining and full of the rich, wonderful characters I met and see if other people can glean something from it for themselves and parse it into their own life. Yeah, because I was going to say, like, everything that you were talking about there, um, in terms of the themes of the book, it sounds like it can, uh, uh, a lot of people can cling on to the themes of, or sorry, it can, it can relate it to, say, depression, which, you know, for a lot of people, I'm sure you do talk about this in the book as well, but a lot of people who get into the outdoors do so, be, or in, in this case, into long distance hiking is because it gives them that space to um, uh, uh, become friends with your depression and and accept your depression. And yeah. so I think that will resonate a lot with with, uh, with people that are into the outdoors. And I, I, like, hopefully, you know, it's not just going to be people that are into long distance hiking, you know, it's not going to just no, be the, the wild group or the, the Bill Bryson group that this will be someone can pick up and, and just you know the trail is just an, an analogy 
for life. Yeah, it really is. Absolutely. And also um, in the beginning of the book, really, I talk about how I'd fought and then made friends with this pain. This pain had been like my life partner for 15 years. It had to be. It informed my movements, my work, my job, my relationships. It was all underpinned by the pain. And then when the pain went away, you know, maybe 80% of it left. It was like you know, when you're leaning into the wind off the top of a cliff and you think it's fun and then the wind drops and you're like, whoa, and you nearly fall off. It was like that. I hadn't realized how much I had identified myself with, even, even internally, because I didn't tell many people, but I was Gail with the pain. You couldn't do this because of the pain. And when it had gone, I really wasn't sure who I was anymore. So I filled my life up with busy, busy schedules, moved to London, did all this, you know, four jobs. I was running loads of different things so busy socially filling up my diary and just feeling emptier and more busy and more chaotic and thinking that I was replacing my battle with my illness with the noise of life and buzz and city thinking that's what I'd been missing the whole time that I'd been struggling but actually what I realized was what I'd been missing was a deeper connection with just me and I couldn't find that in the noise of a city in a job that I didn't love anymore and surrounded by material possessions the more I earned the more I bought the more I bought the more disgusted I was with the rubbish that was around me that cost so much money that I didn't give a shit about and the more that accumulated the more drowned I felt in all of these consumer possessions and the more plans I made the more my phone went off the more I felt attacked by text messages and emails and in the end I just thought I need to get away but I need to get away so far that there's none of this where the woods so it was only in the woods that I had enough stillness over time and the forest kind of just took me in and allowed me to grieve everything in, in a slow motion uh, one footstep at a time and come home to myself and at the end of the trail I just had assimilated all my broken parts back into one person who felt like themselves again so hiking is a gift um, and the outdoors is a gift not just because it makes you feel brave or strong and all those wonderful things and you see animals or it's nice but also because it, you are nature and when you're in nature by yourself your true nature can emerge like the trees grow you know your true nature will grow back out of you I think if that's not all too wishy-washy <laughs> not at all no I think everybody can uh, can relate to that absolutely uh, so you, you said that you found out about the AT back when you read the book, back in your early 20s. When yeah. So was that just the first thing that came to mind? I was like, I need to do a big, long walk. What's the first thing that came to mind? You know, why didn't you go do the PCT? Why didn't you do the TA or why didn't you do any of the other trails? It was just that's been stuck in your head ever since? Yeah, that was stuck in my head for a really long time. And also when I looked up the other trails, so I... Um, I went to, to the trek.co website, which I love, and Zach, who runs that, is a really great guy. Their whole team are wonderful, mm -hmm. and they have some really informative, brilliant stuff on there. So when I went and had a look and a bit of a deeper dive, I'm like, AT, PCT, so the CDT at that time was out, too far out of my comfort zone. It was the first time it would only been, like, a few days in the city, <laughs> <drinking> cider, <laughs> but... The AT was like, okay, or the PCT. And for me, the PCT, when I read them as a newbie hiker, seemed a little bit more like a moving burning man. 
and um, the AT seemed to me <laughs> a little bit more like like there was a there was a gorgeous chaos chaos coolness about the PCT that I didn't need because I was in London and I was like I've already got chaos. I've already got cool people. I've already got stuff going on that's like interesting and edgy mm. fashion I can see and all of that stuff. Not interested. The AT was just like, it's just trees. <laughs> <laughs> up, down, trees, up, down, trees. Really hard, really muddy, pissing with rain. Probably hard, you might fucking hate it. And I'm like, that's the honesty that I need right now. I need mudslides, rock, and I need to scream into the trees and I need them to take it all in for me. And they did. Yeah, it's I'm probably very wrong about the PCT. I, I, when you said that, uh, it said interesting because you know it is something that I kind of think about. You know, it has a likeness to a festival, and maybe that's just because uh, the the average age of hikers is getting a bit younger. Uh, yeah, maybe. It's, maybe it's always been the same, and I'm just hopping in on uh, in in a bubble here. Uh, but it, you're you're right. You know, I I I I think I agree with that. Um, but obviously, there's and that's not a diss. no, not at all, absolutely not at all. It's I can't it, wait to do the PCT, but it wasn't what I needed then. Burning Man is is amazing. I haven't been, but like Burning Man looks amazing. Going to festivals yeah. is amazing, um, but able to kind of have that festival experience that goes for two and a half thousand miles is is also yeah. amazing. I mean, can you imagine how amazing that would be? Um, and also at the same time, you're surrounded by people of all age and all cultures. You've got, you know, 70, 80 year old hikers that are going there doing the entire thing. When you did the AT, um, were you still kind of in a way suffering with the pain or was it completely gone? No, it wasn't completely gone. But I tell you, what, I really thought it was going to be challenging. And I think I thought that I'd probably get not that far in and then I, I didn't even want to acknowledge it but a lot of times I've I've you know trained for triathlons or I've trained for ultras and then I've had to pull out because I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine and then my body just breaks down for no good reason and I thought this is going to happen again I, it cannot happen to me again like I cannot I've come so far but I thought that I would so I was in pain when I started but minimal and I'd spoken to my doctors and they had given me my medication that I needed. And then I had to get proper certification to take opiates into the US. Because obviously, opiate crisis in the US, it's not going to be easy for me to walk into a doctor and go, hi, I take a certain small amount of codeine to manage some chronic pain. Um, but uh, so I took my my uh, medication into the US and I had it with me just in case this little bag of pills <laughs> and um, like panicking that I was going to be in agony. The more I hiked, especially through the 100 mile and then through, you know, Mahusuk and then the whites and there's so much scrambling and it's so challenging across the different planes of movement. The better I got, the less pain I was in. And I thought the more pain I would get in, but the harder it was, the better my body felt because I was using all of these teeny tiny muscles um, in ways that I hadn't used before in years because I hadn't needed to. So I was using my body in the way that animals should use their bodies, um, all in like all kinds of flow states. And uh, with the weight on my back to steady myself as an anchor point through the middle, it, it absolutely was the most pain-free I've ever been until I broke my foot. And of course I fell over a lot and I, you know, gouged chunks out of my knees and that's all just fine. They're normal person injuries, but my chronic injury seemed to really abate but I also think because I ascribe to the biopsychosocial model of pain management which is it's not just about what your physical body's doing it's how you are socializing if you like it's about 
the actual disease or condition you have, plus what you're putting in your body, how happy you are, what, how much daylight you're getting, what you're eating. And so I think being in the outdoors, being around people who have elected to be in the outdoors because they love it, so they are by default joyful, and being on an adventure, having no time pressure, having nothing to think about and stress about apart from food, water, and shelter, they all helped my body to heal too. So I, uh, I did kind of accidentally come off opiates halfway through, which wasn't great, <laughs> but then I got more and then I carried on. But um, because of the trail, my opiate consumption now, which I was on for like 12 years to manage my chronic pain, is really, really, really minimal. And it's only when I ever have a big flare up, whereas before I realized before the trail, I'd become reliant on it because it was given to me and I'm glad it was given to me and it was very effective, but I was in a, a loop with it. Um, you know, you, you become addicted because it's an addicted substance, but you don't know you're addicted because you also have the pain. So you don't know which is the thing to, is, I need it, but am I also addicted, but I still need it. So it's not an addiction. It's like me and coffee, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah but now I've got coffee instead so I'm good but yeah yeah so the pain was fine and then I broke my foot and then well I didn't know I broke the foot did I the the hospital that x-rayed it in the US said it was a said it was tendonitis so I carried on and then when I arrived home it was all big and I couldn't even get my shoe on and it was agony and it could it like cracked as I walked and and I was like don't mention it to anyone just I did mention it to a few people, obviously, because I was like, it really fucking hurts. Uh, and then they x-rayed it here in Cornwall in the hospital and said, hey, would you like to come into the x-ray room? We don't normally let people come in and see. But come and have a look at, did, did you, how far did you say you hiked on this tendonitis? And I was like, well, you know, 800 miles. They said, just come and look at, can you see that? I'm like, what's that? And they said, that's a compound fracture where the bone is broken and moved. And there's another fracture there uh yeah broken in two places yeah oh my goodness but uh i think probably it was maybe initially a hairline fracture and that the hospital in the u.s just couldn't pick it up which is fair mm. enough yeah and then i just hiked on it and on it and on it with my heavy backpack up and down the mountain and uh it just kept cracking <laughs> oh god no wonder it hurts <laughs> Oh, wow. Uh, what a souvenir. Um, <laughs> yeah. You spoke about there at the uh, the social side of, of dealing with, with pain. And I suppose that kind of leads on to, you know, who did you hike with? Did you did you go with anybody? Did you start the trail with anybody? Or did you just start by yourself? Or did you organize something? Or did you just meet people as you went? Excuse me. <laughs> Oh, it was, it was very interesting in that I had someone lined up to hike with me the first 100 miles, 100 miles wilderness, and he was very, he's a very proficient outdoorsman. He's a skydiver. He's an emergency medic, a doctor, um, and had been a good mate for a long, long time. And he bailed like six weeks before because he had another project, like he, some skydiving thing at Everest. I don't really, I can't remember what it was. And uh, I was like, are you fucking mate you can't do this I've never done anything like this before and I felt confident because you were coming with me in the beginning no that was a no-go and then um I had a girl message me who had been like my mortal enemy we'd been best mates at school and then she'd been my mortal enemy and she'd been very unkind to me at school and it had been very traumatic and in the years since I hadn't seen her for like 15 years and then I bumped into her and she had 
asked if she could meet up with me and I was very nervous even as an adult to meet up with her because she was quite scary and she apologized and she was incredibly upset and said she explained that she'd had a terrible time in school in her own home life and or personal life and she'd taken it out on me because I seemed so happy and she'd often thought about apologizing and making it right and had really sat heavily with her so I said of course that's I understand these things happen yeah it was shit but we're adults now and we'll crack on and then we became friends and I got a message from her when she found out that this guy had let me down and she said I know it's not very me but I'm coming and I've got my husband will look after the kids for two weeks and I am not going to let you down this time I caused so much grief for you in your life I want to step up and I want to help out oh wow so she got a flight like four weeks before had not done any training determined to come and support me and she was incredible so we did the hundred mile wilderness together and we fell out and had her ups and downs but she's she was amazing what what an incredible person and then I met hugely brilliant people in the hundred mile and hiked a long time with them and then met different families along the way um yeah that was that was all very cool and I came off to go to the Himalayas for a month with my broken foot I didn't know it was broken so my trail family went ahead and then I picked up a new trail family when I came back on in early November. Just a casual flight over to the Himalayas in, in between. Yeah, I had to go and help with another. I did another trek. Yeah. Skydiving off, yeah. off Everest. <laughs> no, not skydiving. What a, what a, what a, what a, uh, what's the worst? <laughs> not only are you going to patch up this friendship with somebody, uh, yeah. You know, and spend a bit of time with them, but you're going to go into probably the, one of the most <laughs> psychologically challenging areas of the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> like it's just yeah. forest, and you you've, there's barely any sunlight in there for for days. Yeah, and she did. She had bad asthma. She didn't know it, but she was very allergic to pine. And so when we got in there, she was just like her eyes just swelled up. She couldn't breathe properly. We're all eaten alive with mosquitoes, and we got quite grumpy, but. You know, it was amazing. She's a trooper. Um, wow. And and then so it uh relationships like that, that 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 you feel like that was helping you with dealing with any of the kind of pain that you were going through. Yeah, I think it was important that somebody came with me in the beginning, not because I was scared, but because I was scared. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't like scared, but it was like I don't know if I can do this and I need someone who knows me who knows what I've got going on because it's quite a lot to try and tell a stranger you know if I have if I like seize up and can't move and need to be taken out or not that I thought that would happen but I needed I felt like I needed somebody who knew me and knew that I can be resilient and if that I say that I'm in pain if I actually vocalize it it probably means I'm in quite a lot of pain because I never really talk about it yeah um so yeah, that really helped. And it was a great boost. And although by the end of the 100 mile, we both wanted to kill each other, when she left, uh, I was really sad. She left Shores and I was like, oh, I wish you weren't going. But she left me in the hands of some amazing people, um, Avery, Morgan and Hambone, all who'd hiked a lot before, especially Hambone and um, Avery, who'd done the CDT, who'd done the AT twice. And they were great fun and taught me such a lot of stuff. So I was very grateful. And with these people, like, have you kept in touch with them? Or are you planning on doing any yeah. hikes with them? Or? Um, Hambone's given me some good advice about some hikes, and I'm hoping to do this summer. And he's in the book, and he's a he's a great character, really interesting um, hiker, and lots of other people I met on the trail. I'm still in touch with. Um, so 
I think probably there are some great girls. The girl that I finished with was called Fitbit and I picked her up late in the tour. She picked me up, we picked each other up. And uh, it's amazing that you can forge such depths of friendships when you're with people you don't know at all in real life, but you're just stripped back to your bones on the trail and you can be who you really are and people trust you much more quickly. It's like me being Cornish. When you meet Cornish people anywhere in the world, um, you could be in a bar anywhere and if you hear a Cornish accent or see someone who's Cornish you just immediately would do anything for each other you know? <laughs> foreigners strangers in a strange land but you're not strangers it's the same with the hiking you just immediately have that connection yeah so yeah I'll, I'll be hiking with some people that did the AT um, this year hopefully I, I absolutely know what you mean and anyone who's Irish that's listening to this will agree with this there's, there's a thing with Irish people when we travel is that we always wear, you'll always spot someone Irish before they've even spoken a word because they're usually... Really? How? Well, one, they're either the pastiest person in the room or or, or (laughs) around. They have red hair covered in freckles. But the main thing, the main telling thing is a uh, a GAA, which is our our national sport. They're wearing their county colours. They're wearing their county (laughs) jerseys. You'll see it like no matter where you are in the world, there's been there's been memes made out of this. There's been uh, pictures of people wearing a county Mayo jersey in. I don't know, the depths of Vietnam, you know, in, the, in a jungle Honestly. in Vietnam. And, <laughs> you know, it's been on national TV. It's been on, you know, CNN, someone wearing a Dublin GAA jersey. That just uh, triggered me there when he said that. I love it. I love it. Um, Same with the St. Perrin's flag from Cornwall. The, uh, so, you, you, so, sorry, you went and did the Southwest Coast Pass. Did you do the... The whole thing or section of it? I actually can't remember. No, I did the whole thing. Yeah, the whole thing um, across, I think it was the end of August and into September. August and September, like six weeks, five weeks maybe. Had a few, good few zeros. um, And that was brilliant. What a place to be having a zero though. that, That part of England is just beautiful. Yeah, and the great thing was that most of that around Cornwall is home. So um, there's people all over the place that I know that popped along and did sections with me and kept my spirits up. And but you don't really need your spirits keeping up much in the Southwest Coast Pass. I mean, it's hard work, but it's just nonstop stunning. Yeah, really just, from from what I've seen, is it, it is just undulating hills constantly going up and down around. Yeah, the lots of rocky cliffs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you want to tell our, our listeners, because some of them might not be familiar with the Southwest Coast Path, uh, you know, what what is it like, it's, uh, the distance and, you know, because it's not it's not just hiking. There's a, there's a few crossings that you have to make as well. Yeah, so there's quite a lot of estuaries and rivers that go up uh, from the mouth of the sea, uh, going up, obviously, into the into the counties and the land. So you have to sometimes wade and wait we have to if you meet the tide at the wrong time you have to wait until the tide goes down so that you can put your pack on your head and wade across knee or thigh kind of height creeks and estuaries in the mud there are other places where you have to get uh ferry crossings across to the other side some of those are very well organized and you know quite commercial different times on a board but some of them are just so ad hoc like there's one river crossing where you're supposed to just pull a white flap of board down and a guy somewhere in the river will see it from wherever he is and eventually turn up at the couple of little stone steps at the creek and on the board when you open it up he's clearly so annoyed that with people like not waiting long enough that you open the flap and it says on the inside 
please wait for at least 25 minutes before calling this phone number and there's a phone number he doesn't want you to call it <laughs> i do remember that i remember seeing that in your story and, and then yeah. and then the next scene you just had this guy like tugging along in this boat coming up to towards you that, yeah. was, that was quite funny Real character um so yeah there's lots of questions like that uh yeah, the, the, especially when I hiked it while camping, while camping's not, not allowed on the Southwest Coast Path, people do. And I think that when you're when you're smart and respectful about Leave No Trace and it's the right time to do it, I, I can see how it's a fine thing to do. But it was post first lockdown, summer, everybody was flooding to Cornwall. Tons of people who don't really camp regularly were camping, leaving tents where they were, leaving barbecues, leaving food, scaring wildlife, upsetting farmers. So it was not the time for even someone who can camp wild and knows how to do it respectfully to do it. And because I was posting on my Instagram and sharing my journey quite regularly, I definitely didn't want to be posting wild camping and encouraging people who might not understand what that could mean for the environment to do it too if they didn't know what yeah. they were doing so I didn't do any wild camping I made sure that, that I was phoning ahead of farmers that I might know or friends knew and asked if I could camp on their land and if it was all right with the livestock and the crops or I was phoning ahead to campsites and sometimes that was quite expensive because when you get further up the coast on the south coast it's big fancy caravan parks who don't really care that you're a walker um, who want to charge you 30 pounds to put your tent up in a tiny scrub of land for like seven hours and then other places are like oh just give me two pounds and we don't have any space but you can put your tent up in our reception in on the bit of grass in front of the reception building we don't mind at all you know that you'd always find somewhere to sleep but you might pay a lot for it if you don't want a wild camp yeah so that was logistically interesting but um and what i also found interesting sorry no. Well, is that I started in the north and hiked around the bottom, round Land's End, towards home, which is in Falmouth. And that felt really great. And then when I got to Falmouth and I had to hike the rest of the coast path away from home, it felt really different in the first few days. Didn't want to do it. I was like, I don't want to hike away from my home. I don't mind hiking towards home. I could start in, like, you know, in John O'Groats and hike towards home and not feel bad about that at all. But somehow hiking away from home psychologically was weird. And it, the challenge then, compare that to the Appalachian Trail, is, is there just no comparison or? No comparison. Physically, a comparison for sure, because the up and down of the cliffs, etc., was hugely similar. Um, if really on the southwest coast path, a little more staccato, you know, up, down, up, down. Whereas on the AT, there was further to go up and further to come down. I would say that um, the thing that I didn't love about the Southwest Coast Path really, which is also one of its strengths in some ways, is that I'm all, you're always hiking through a village. Yeah. You're never, <laughs> you're never far from civilization and you're always bumping into day walkers with their dogs and people enjoying the beautiful stretches of Coast Path for a few hours on a Sunday lunch or whatever. That's great and it's brilliant that people are in the outdoors, but it's not the path choose especially in the summer mm. if you want to be more remote and feel absorbed by nature water water sources are scarce natural water sources because it's heavily farmed and you know rivers are a bit brackish and pollutants from the the fields potentially and then it was covid so people didn't want to fill up your water bottles in cafes so there's quite a few challenges at being covid times but 
allowed to move around COVID time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the AT is a beast all of itself, not even a beast, a goddess of a trail. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's uh, sorry, we've got to get the, the L plug in here now. Uh, apologies, shameless plug, but that's kind of one, oh, of, the, that's one of the the things that we like to, to encourage a bit more on uh, with with Hiker, with the use of it, is is these trails that do go through towns because there's this con- uh, preconception about long distance hiking that you need to be a hardy person with, you know, like your friends that, you know, do base jumps off Everest and, you know, is an action man. You need to be the, the, this type of character and camp every single night. And yeah, there, there's a space for that. That absolutely exists. But there are these trails where you can go from town to town. You can hike from one yeah. town to the next town or the next town over and sleep there. You don't have to carry everything on your back. You can carry like your day bag, but you can do these 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 trails. And it's, by the sounds of it, the Southwest Coast Path is at, like one of the extreme versions of that, where you can literally see the Southwest Coast Path, the Southwest Coast of the UK you know a, a absolutely stunning part of the country um yeah on foot over over a matter of weeks uh, yeah absolutely and you could stay if you wanted to and be in bees every night mm. if you were really organized and wanted to plan ahead or a nice campsite every night and you could feel very safe and you, i used your app for the southwest coast path for the whole thing and it was really 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 great and i'm not saying i bought it you know with my own money i genuinely did i didn't it's not kickback I thought I'd try it out and it was genuinely super helpful. You put a new update in there. When I first used it, it wasn't so helpful. But as soon as you allowed me to be able to mark where I wanted, where I was going to start that day and then mark where I wanted to end and then look at what was available rather than it already being set in sections, that was a game changer. So I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, And okay, you're on the Southwest Coast path, but you go through a lot of towns it's a perfect time for me to ask my stupidly cheesy question. What was your favorite food on the Southwest Coast Path? Uh, my favorite food on the Southwest Coast Path? Oh, Snickers. It's always Snickers. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't go into like a nice, uh, you know, fish restaurant. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant like trail food. Oh, my aunt's, my, my pasties. Oh my God. My aunt makes the best Cornish pasties there are. And that's going to start a fight if any Cornish people are listening to that. And famous pasties. Um, she has shops in the Liz- on the Lizard Peninsula and the Port Levin. And so, yeah, pas- Cornish pasty, that's what you need if you're hiking. Cornish pasty and a cider. And cider. <laughs> Rockerfield, <laughs> getting you around the trail. Amazing. Yeah, and some good fish and chips. I'll have to, I'll have to, uh, Anne's, Famous pasties and famous pasties. Look okay. them up on the interweb. <laughs> um, so, what's next? Like, obviously, you have a book coming out this year. You know, yeah. just that little thing that you need to deal in with. July. But uh, hiking wise, outdoors wise, what's what's on the menu? So, on the menu is in May, um, early May. I'll be doing. A stretch of the southwest coast path for a week with Copperfield, um, which is a breast cancer charity founded by my friend Chris Helenga. And she, a uh, hundred women, just like we went to the Himalayas, a hundred women will be coming here. We should be going to the Sahara, but it's not possible. We'll be coming here and doing a stretch of the coast path. So I'll be help, helping with that hike. They get a bunch of celebrities to come and do these kind of annual hikes with them and whatnot. 
And then after that, uh, I'm to look at my calendar. Oh yeah, early June, hopefully, the Tour du Mont Blanc and hopefully doing some filming for a project when we do that. And uh, then after that, at the end of June, can't really jinx it by saying what it is yet, but uh, a, a long, big trail in the US. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that, that narrows it down quite a lot. So. It does, it? Well, it could be any of them. And it's southbound because after doing the AT southbound, I just, I'm a left-handed. I'm just, I'm a bit of a southbounder. Southbounder feels like a left-hander, a little bit different. Okay, excellent. That's uh, quite the year. I hope I'm going to be able to walk to the shop, let alone be along this side. I mean, maybe yeah. that's all I'll end up doing, walking to the yeah. shop. Do the Southwest Coast Path the other direction. We're, we're recording this at the t- in, where are we? January? And it's still both, January. January's both, lasted 10 years. Yeah, yeah. And both our governments, so the UK governments and the Irish governments, have both uh, extended lockdowns until March. So who knows what's going to happen. But yeah, fingers crossed, I am crossing everything I can cross for you that you can go and do these things. I can't wait to see you do them. And Thanks, fingers crossed it, uh, that everybody who's listening to this gets to do whatever hiking plans that they want to do. Gail, yeah, sure. it has been an absolute pleasure. We'll knock it on the head there. Um, All right, it's been lovely to talk to you. It's been an absolute pleasure and best of luck with everything. Thanks everybody. for having me on. Chatting. Thanks so much. Isn't she great? <laughs> Isn't she great? Gail is a fantastic storyteller, as I said. Uh, I really enjoyed listening back to that uh, during editing this podcast. Not much to edit. She, as I said, she's a really good storyteller and she gets she gets you right in the feels. Is that way, is that way felt? Anyway, hope you liked the podcast. As I said, let us know what you think. Like, share, comment email clap stand outside your house and clap for me and this podcast and the guests because and that's what we deserve stay well look after yourselves and happy hiking chat to you in two weeks